We are in Yavamos, the bottom of Kufiyad Beis, and Beis 112b. As the Gemara begins its uh, explanation and uh, commentary on the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was discussing a rabbinic marriage uh, of a cherish, of a deaf mute, and the Gemara now will compare the different types of rabbinic marriages. When do we have a rabbinic marriage? When do we not have a rabbinic marriage? Some of the differences between these different types of marriages. Why do we have those differences? Uh, so let's begin the Gemara. Amar Rami Barchama, Rami Barchama says, Maishna Cherish Vecharish is the Kinel Rabban Nisuin. Umaishna Zishota Vishota, those Kinel Rabban Nisuin. Why is it that when it comes to a deaf mute, whether it is the husband or the wife, uh, there is a rabbinic marriage, they instituted on a rabbinic level a marriage, but when it comes to somebody who's a Shota, not in touch with reality, they're insane, and they're just totally not in touch with reality, whether it's the husband or the wife, they did not institute. Uh, such a marriage, a rabbinic marriage. Ditanya, how do we know that they didn't institute it? Because we have an abraisa, we know this because the abraisa says that if somebody is a shota, if somebody is not in touch with reality, or if they are a katan, if the husband is male, if it's a, if it's a minor, uh, and they attempt to get married, so it's not even recognized as a marriage. There is no concept of even Rechalitza if they were to die without kids. Just the whole, the whole thing doesn't apply. It's not recognized as a marriage. So how do we know? That's how we know it. So what, what's the difference between uh, somebody who's deaf-mute versus a Shota, versus somebody who's not in touch with reality? Explains the Gemara. Cheresh v'cheresh is the kaima tekanta durabana, tekinalu rabbanan, yisu, and shota v'shota, lo kaima tekanta durabanan, deinadam darim nachash b'kfifa, it's very simple. When it comes to deaf-mute, so they can have a marriage, and they can have a functioning, successful marriage, um, even if they are deaf-mute. But when it comes to somebody who's not in touch with reality, so then that's setting up a disaster. And so therefore, they instituted a marriage on a rabbinic level when it comes to the deaf-mute. But when it comes to somebody, whether it's either the husband or the wife, uh, who is, completely, who is uh, completely not in touch with reality, so then... It's just going to lead to so many problems, and they did not institute the concept of a rabbinic marriage. Now, it is important to point out that even though they did not uh, institute a rabbinic marriage, uh, they did say, if you recall from the Mishnah, that if somebody gets married, husband and wife, they get married, and everybody is, uh, thank God, they're they're healthy, and uh, they're able to function normally. Uh, and then later on in their marriage, one of whether it's the husband or the, or the wife, um, so then if they become um, a shota, if they become somebody who's not in touch with reality, so then we say that they cannot get divorced. Even the wife, who in general you get divorced against her will, if she becomes uh, <coughs> a shota and she's not in touch with reality, you're not allowed to divorce her. And the reason why you're not allowed to divorce her, you stay married, is because we're concerned that if she gets divorced, so then uh, people will treat, with her, treat her improperly. Uh, she's not going to realize what's going on. Um, and so therefore we need someone to make sure to protect her. And so she has to stay married. So even though we do not want to initiate such a marriage, but if they were fully functional uh, from the beginning of the marriage, and then the, one of the, the husband or the wife becomes a, a shota, becomes not in touch with reality, we say it's better for them to stay married, to protect to protect such a person. Um, okay, so that, I believe, uh, Tosos, the commentator on the page, points... Uh, Points that out, I believe. Um, continues the Gemara. 
Okay, so I understand why a deaf mute is able to get married on a rabbinic level. They instituted such a marriage. But why is it then that a minor, we know that if uh, it's a woman, if it's the, the wife, <coughs> as a minor, she is allowed to get married, but not if it's the husband, not if it's the male. Why not? Why did they institute such a marriage? So the Gemara explains. They didn't have to institute it for a minor. It, when he turns 13, he'll get married. When it comes to somebody who's deaf-mute, so without anything drastically changing, they're going to be, because they are deaf-mute their entire lives, they'll never be able to get married. When it comes to a minor, they go away a few years and they get married after that. Sigmar says, if that's the case, why is it then that if she, if the wife is a minor, that she is allowed to get married? Why don't we just tell her, go ahead and wait till you're 12? So here the Gemara answer is, no. The case there, is that we're concerned uh, that because uh, she's a minor and also the cases where she gets married on a rabbinic level is when the father passes away, so there's nobody really there to protect her. So for her, out of, to protect her, uh, we instituted the whole institution of rabbinic marriage for a minor is all there to protect her, to make sure that she's cared for, she's, uh, she doesn't, uh, that people don't take advantage of her, um, specifically uh, sexually, they don't take advantage of her and so, therefore, we want to make sure that she's protected, and she's. And so, therefore, they instituted for her, for her sake, the rabbinic marriage for a minor. Okay, so that's why, in the end of the day, there are two different types of rabbinic marriages. One is for a deaf mute, whether it's the husband or the wife, and then the other one is for a minor, uh, specifically when it's for the wife, only for the wife, only when she is a minor. When he is a minor, there is no <coughs> such concept of a rabbinic marriage. Uh, the Gemara now is going to discuss various differences and why do we have these differences between these two different types of marriages. And so I believe we'll have three differences between these different types of marriages. So asks the Gemara, We know that there's a concept of Mion. This is what we had in the last chapter, the last parak. We had this concept of Mion. The fact that the minor, if she's a minor, she's able to do Mion and she can back out of the marriage at any point in time until she reaches the age of being an adult, of being 12 years old. She has that ability to back out of the marriage. Why is that ability, which is, is all on a rabbinic level, she can never do such a thing if it's a biblical marriage. Why do we say that that applies to a minor, but doesn't apply to deaf-mute? So the more answers, because we're concerned for a deaf-mute that who's going to marry this deaf-mute? Who's going to end up marrying him or her who's a deaf-mute? Uh, because that person, the deaf-mute, could always back out of the marriage. And so therefore, it, 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 it's... Uh, it prevents people from really wanting to marry them. They're already having a difficult time to get married. They're already deaf-mute, so it's hard for them to get married. And you're, you're going to add to it by saying, listen, not only are they deaf-mute, but they also have the ability to back out of the marriage. At any point in time, they could just back out of the marriage. So uh, because we want to encourage people to marry them, so therefore they did not include it. Oh, what about a minor? What about a, a katana? Maishta katana. Uh, sorry, as opposed to... Uh, Raja explains, as opposed to a katana, a minor, they, they could they could back out of the marriage, but it's only up to a certain point in time. It's up to till the age of 12. The, the husband's going to hope and assume that he'll be able to persuade her to continue on in the marriage, and it won't be forever where she could always back out. Once she reaches the age of 12, so then they're fully married on a biblical level, and they stay married with the normal rules of marriage, and she can't just back out at any point in time. Second difference is about truma. We say that a katana, uh, somebody who's under the age of 12, if she gets married, she if she marries a Kohen, 
So then she's, it's a rabbinic marriage. She's allowed to eat truma, which is only truma on a rabbinic level. There's certain truma, depending on the produce, <coughs> that itself is a whole discussion, a dispute. But there's certain produce which is only requires truma on a rabbinic level. So truma, which is on a rabbinic level, this rabbinic marriage, this wife of a Kohen, if she's a minor, she's allowed to eat truma. But if she's deaf mute, then she's not allowed to eat truma, even though she's married to a Kohen. These are both rabbinic marriages. Uh, what's what's the difference between the two? First of all, how do we know that there's a difference? The Tanan, because we have a Mishnah which says that a Chareshes, a, a wife who is a deaf mute, that the father marries her off. So if the father marries her off, so then she's still allowed to get divorced, even though it's a biblical marriage. We are allowed to divorce her because you could divorce her against her will. You could also divorce the deaf mute. Okay, that's also something that we had in the Mishnah. But then the next line switches from a chereshes, from a deaf mute, to a katana, to a minor. That says that a minor, a regular a girl who's under the age of 12, who gets married to a coin, she's allowed to eat truma. But it doesn't say that about a, deaf, about a deaf mute. It doesn't say that about a deaf mute. It switches to a minor. So the implication is that for a deaf mute, they cannot eat truma. So what's the difference? Why? So the more answer is, Gezerah Shemiyoch the concern is uh, because maybe if they are a cherish and a chereshes, they'll end up eating. If they're both deaf mute, they'll end up eating. We'll see. And we'll explain this in a second. The Gemara says, "Velechol katan velechol katan achol v'nevils who gizerish amiyochol cherish bepikachas v'cherish bepikachas nami lechol betruma derabanan gizeradam asi lochol betruma deraisa." So essentially, the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says that the reason why that why a chareshes, a woman who's a deaf mute, she cannot eat truma. The whole reason for that is because, uh, out of concern for the for the flip side. The flip side is as follows. The concern is that maybe okay, you could give them truma on a rabbinic level, but what happens if they eat truma on a biblical level? If they eat truma on a biblical level, now they're in violation of of, of a non kohen. Because on a biblical level, she's not married to the Kohen. A non-Kohen eating truma. That's that's a Torah prohibition. And so that's our concern. Okay, you're going to give them rabbinic truma, which is on a rabbinic level. Well, they're going to end up eating truma, which is on a biblical level. To that, the Gemara asks, so what? So what? We know that a deaf mute, just like a minor, is not obligated in the commandments. Not only are they not obligated in the commandments, but we do not have an obligation Uh to to uh, to 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 make sure that they do not violate the Torah when it comes to the negative commandments. There's a mitzvah to be mechanech them, to educate them, to teach them about the positive commandments. But when it comes to violating the negative commandments, there's no obligation for us to make sure that they don't violate the negative commandments as long as they are not obligated in mitzvos and they're not obligated in mitzvos. So let them go ahead and eat the truma which is on a biblical level. We won't tell them to do it. Obviously, we won't encourage them to do it. But if it happens, if it's a mistake, what's the big deal? They're, they aren't obligated in the mitzvahs anyways. So the Gemara answers, no, it's all a concern for one case. The case is, now where she is a chareshes, where she's deaf mute, because if she's a deaf mute, you're right. She's not obligated in the commandments. And then if she ends up eating truma on a biblical level, you're right, it's not the biggest deal. But the, what if it's the flip side? What happens if it's a rabbinic marriage? Because he, the husband, the Kohen, the husband, is a cherish, is deaf mute. She is functional. She is fully functional. She's not a deaf mute. Uh, so then the, she is obligated in the commandments. And she's married to the, her husband, who's a Kohen. 
she might then go ahead and eat. There's a concern she might go ahead and eat truma, which is on a biblical level. If you're going to allow her to eat truma, which is on a rabbinic level, she's going to come to eat truma, which is on a on a biblical level, and that's a problem. That's a major problem because she is obligating the commandment. So, in the end of the day, the reason why we say if she's a cheresh, if she's a deaf mute, why can't she eat truma? She's not allowed to eat truma, not because of her case per se, because if she's a deaf mute, she really we don't have to be as concerned whether or not she violates the commandments. The real concern is that we're going to get confused for the opposite case, where he's the deaf mute and he's a kohen and she's the wife of a kohen on a rabbinic on a rabbinic level, but she if she ends up eating biblical truma truma which is which is truma on a biblical level, then she is she is in violation of the Torah. So it's all for that case. Okay, so that's distinction number two. Again, distinction the first two distinctions are whether or not uh, they could do mian. A, a minor is allowed to do mian could just automatically get out of marriage. If she's deaf mute, she can't. And the second difference is truma. A minor who is married to a kohen could eat truma. If a deaf mute is married to a kohen, she cannot eat truma. Third difference, the last difference uh, that the Gemara will discuss, <coughs> is maishna chareshes the less like suba. Maishna katana dis like suba. Maishna chareshes the less like suba. We know about the concept of exuba. The exuba is the document which uh, the husband obligates himself in the beginning of the marriage. And says that if this marriage ends for whatever reason, whether it's through death or through divorce, he will support her and he'll, he's obligated uh, to pay a certain amount. We say that that exuba, this concept of exuba, that's on a biblical marriage. What about on a rabbinic marriage? It only applies to a minor if he's married to a minor, but not if he's married to a deaf mute. How do we know? What's uh, what's uh, before we get to, to even why this is the case? Sorry, the Gemara says. Uh, the Gemara does explain why. The Gemara answers first, Dim Kain, uh, the reason why we don't have a by a Chareshes is because we're we're concerned that people aren't going to end up marrying her. If there's a Ksuba, uh, in general, we have the Ksuba really to protect the marriage, uh, really to protect her and the marriage uh, uh, so that he's not so he won't easily divorce her. Uh, but in this case, we want to make sure that she, the deaf mute, gets married to begin with. When it comes to a katana a minor, so there, there is no, there isn't such a concern. We're not concerned because people will marry her anyways because they're under the assumption that when she gets older, it, it'll be a good fit. And so people have less of a hesitation when it comes to marrying the minor. But when it comes to marrying a deaf mute, so there's more of a hesitation there. We want to prevent that. We don't want to, we don't want to strengthen that hesitation. Uh, we want to prevent that. And so we'll say, you know what, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, give exuba. So by not giving exuba, that will encourage more people to marry somebody who is deaf mute. So the Gemara says, "How do we know that a katana, a minor, has exuba? Did not The Mishnah says that there are three three women who do not have exuba. Somebody who backs out of the marriage through mian, a minor who backs out of the marriage on her own. What uh, if it's some sort of violation because?" Uh, they are uh, married to each other, but they're related to each other on a rabbinic level. Or let's say it was an improper marriage because he didn't realize that she can't have kids. In all these cases, there's no ksuba uh, because uh, something happened. There is a gap, but there's no ksuba. But the implication is for katana, uh, a minor, where he is divorcing her, there is a ksuba. Not where she backs out of the marriage on her own. Then there is no ksuba, but if he divorces her, so then if it's his choice... So then there is a ksuba. How do we know that for a chareshes, for a deaf mute, they don't have a ksuba? Because of the following b'risa, the tanya, 
Cheresh Vishota Shinosu Pekhos Afapishin is Pekhach Cheresh Vishtafa Shota in Lam Alem Klum. If a Cheresh, uh, if he is deaf mute and marries uh, somebody who is fully functional, um, so even if he gets better through the marriage, so then there is no Ksuba since there wasn't a Ksuba uh, to begin with. A Cheresh, a deaf mute, can't obligate himself. He's not. He doesn't have sufficient knowledge to obligate himself. But to the Kaiman, Yishlam Ksuba. If he now wants to stay married and continue, so now he has to have a ksuba. That's not the main proof. The main proof is the next case. The Brisa continues and says, if he, the husband, is fully functional, and he marries a chareshes or a shota, a deaf mute or a shota, somebody who's not in touch with reality, if he wants to, he can have a ksuba. But the implication is, if he wants to, he has the ability to obligate himself. He's uh, has uh, full knowledge and awareness, but he's married a rabbinic marriage to a, a deaf mute. So the Brisa says only if he wants to. Time of the ratza, lo ratza inla. It's only if he wants to could he obligate himself with a ksuba. But if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to have a ksuba. So there's your proof. And the reason is is because we don't want to prevent them from marrying a deaf mute. There's already so many things that are that are preventing their marriage. We're not going to say you're forced to give a ksuba. Uh, and and so therefore it's only if he wants to. I believe Rav Moshe Feinstein discusses this with regards to, uh, they were asking him about a marriage of a deaf mute, and I think he encourages Iksuba, that uh, we can't force him obviously, but uh, we encourage Iksuba uh, to, be part of the, to be part of the wedding process. The Gemara then asks, If the whole reason why we don't have Iksuba is, um, is uh, to encourage um, to encourage, um, sorry, to encourage the marriage, and that's why we don't have Iksuba when she is a deaf mute. What if it's the other way around? What if it's a rabbinic marriage and she is fully functional, but he is a cherish, he's the one who's deaf mute. So then we should institute Iksuba in that case. The answer is Dim Minasvi. In that direction, we should have Iksuba because in that direction, she should want Iksuba, and he's the one who's a cherish, he's the one who's deaf mute, and it's a rabbinic marriage because of him. And this will increase uh, her chances of wanting to marry a deaf mute because now she'll have Iksuba. Where it says, no, there is no such concern. And this is, the following is found in a few places in the Gemara. Yosem Mishay Ishrot Salisa, Ishrot say, No, that women, more than men want to get married to, to, to women, women want to get married to men. That uh, women have more of a stronger desire to get married to men. It's not necessary in this case. And she'll marry the Cherish anyway. She'll marry the deaf mute anyways because she has a stronger a desire to get married. And we'll leave off with the following uh, story. There was a deaf mute man who, who lived in the town of uh, Rav Malkov and they got married to somebody. And he did create a ksuba. Uh, Rav Malkov made sure that he would give Iksuba, he would, he would, he would uh, obligate himself with Iksuba, and Rav said how great he is, because uh, certainly you would pay somebody just to do uh, certain work for you, so all the more so for for a marriage itself, a marriage itself is that the two are getting together, a marriage itself, all the more so you should obligate yourself through the Iksuba. And so therefore we do encourage him, who is a deaf mute, if he's a deaf mute, to, to write and to obligate himself with a Iksuba. Those are the three differences, again, Mion, whether you get back out of the marriage, truma and exuba, all those apply to 
a rabbinic marriage is on a, uh, for a minor, but not for a chareshes, not if she is deaf-mute. We'll continue with the Gemara in the next recording.